Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Our scripture reading today is taken from Ezra, the fourth chapter, 18th verse through chapter 5, verse 2. I'm reading from the King, New King James Virgin. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me, and I gave the command, and a search has been made. And it was found that this city was formed in former time, has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the a command is given by me. Take heed now that you do this and fail not to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehim, Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up into in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia, chapter 5. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotil, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God was with them, helping them. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and divine word and continue to, to bless his servant as he presents to us a message from the Holy Writ. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm very honored to be here this morning, but you're getting gypped. <clears throat> Maysville's getting to hear Glenn Colley speak. You got stuck with me. 
When I approached Glenn about coming to Maysville and doing a couple of special topics for our year this year, um, he said, I don't have time to do that. And I said, well, I really need you to do it. And he said, well, I'd really like to do it. Let's see if I can work it out. I'll arrange something with the elders. And he talked to them. He said, the only way I can do that is if you come and speak here while I'm gone. And I said, well, that's a double whammy. They don't get to hear you, and they have to hear me. That, that, that's, that's bad. But nonetheless, uh, that's what we worked out. And I'm thankful that Glenn is at Maysville this morning. And uh, I'll do my best to provide for you something to uh, encourage you and get your, your thinking going. My guess is that when you hear the word Haggai, Nothing follows it. You don't have an idea. You don't have a, you don't have a mental image. There's no picture. There's no, there's no reference. There's no connection. Now, somebody says Jonah to you, another minor prophet. Oh, yeah, you know Jonah. You know the story of Jonah, his travel to Nineveh, his colorful, uh, departure from the Lord. And things of, someone says Daniel. Oh, you know about Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story of, of Daniel, the lion's den, and his, his place there. Samuel, King Saul, and David. We talk about Genesis. You saw Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of the patriarchs, Joseph, and the children of Israel going down into Egypt. But Haggai, nothing there maybe. But I'd like to change that. I'd like for us to talk about Haggai this morning. And I want to make it a connection to you that will be of great value. Now here's how we're going to do it. I want to do three approaches or three elements to our discussion this morning. I want to talk about the historical setting of Haggai and tie it into where it goes. Then spend a little time in the text And after that, then I want to bring out some key ideas that we're going to see there that relate directly to us and to our lives and connect. All right. Historical is the, that's the when. When did this take place? The text is going to take us, tell us what. It's the, it's the content. But then the, the key ideas is the, is the, the why, the so what. What difference does that make? And I want it to make a difference as we talk about Haggai this morning. We talk about the book of Ezra. And I may have to do a little looking over my shoulder because I've got a very bright light right there. And uh, my screen's over there and my print is in blue. So I I may have to turn around a a little bit here. To make the connection to Haggai, you've got to connect to Ezra. Now, historically... The book of Ezra and Nehemiah described the children of Israel coming back from the time in exile. And they are going to be rebuilding Jerusalem. First the temple, then the walls, and these things will take place. Ezra chapters 1 and 2 describe that first return of the children of Israel coming back about 538 B.C. Ezra chapter 3, the temple begins... And the foundation is laid, and those kinds of things uh, are important to 
the history of them because they're rebuilding what was original. They're going back in the same place and they're restoring something that was destroyed that had such great meaning. But then it stops. The reading that we had just a moment ago. And what an eloquent reading it was. And I'm very grateful to our brother for that reading. Ezra chapter 4. The people of the land try to block the temple from going forward and block the Jews. And they are successful for a period of time. And the children of Israel give up. Now, don't get too tied to these particular dates. 538 is the date when the edict of of uh, the king was given and they are allowed to return. 536 is a guess-ish. How long did it take for them to put all of their uh, things in order, for them to gather the people that would be traveling, 50,000 or so of them, and then make the journey, which is a very long journey. So we'll give them two or so years for all of this to be done, get to the new land, establish themselves, and begin to build. So somewhere around 536, uh, 537... Uh, that's probably a little too soon, 536, 535, 534, somewhere along there, the temple stops being built. And it's going to remain unbuilt until Ezra chapter 5, first two verses, God sends Haggai and Zechariah for the specific job of get the work back on track. Restart the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Now, that's what the book of Haggai is all about. And that's the setting of where it is. And this is going to happen in 520 B.C. Now, usually we talk about, when we get into Old Testament times and things of this sort, about or guessing. This is one of the unique places where we have very good chronology for this time. And so 520 is a very good date. There are, in the historical dates of Haggai, five, uh, four particular dates. There are going to be five messages. But those four dates, beginning in the end of August, 520, and going down through December of 520 B.C., these texts, these pronouncements are going to take place. Now, how do we know that? Well, there are a number of sources. We have very good chronology from the Babylonian time period of this era. And so the research is there and it's adequate. And I've actually cited two very different uh, sources here for dating this. And you'll find those dates uh, consistently throughout scholarship. It's really not uh, a subject of debate. So 520 B.C. is when all of this is taking place. Okay, so what? You don't have a, you don't probably have a concept of, of what that means. 520 B.C., Let's make it a relative date. What was going on here? This is the beginning of what we describe as the post-exile period. Exile was when the children of Israel were taken away from Jerusalem into Babylon. Post-exile is after the exile. So they are coming back, and we can date that very clearly, starting in 538. What else was going on around the world at that time? Sometimes we allow our minds of that time to, to something of being a vacuum. And so we don't know the other things happening in the world. So it doesn't really connect up with anything. Well, let's make it connect up a little bit. What else was going on? Well, in 509 BC, which is just a little bit further down the road, 
The Romans are going to get rid of their last king and they're going to begin what we think of as the modern, ancient Roman Empire. And uh, they're going to begin the, the push toward the Caesars and the representative government in the city or in the area of Greece and Athens. The Athenian democracy begins 508 BC. So about the same time, the children of Israel were restoring the building of Jerusalem The rest of the world is going forward. Rome is becoming an empire. Greece is going to develop their great thinking and philosophies and the things of that sort. Now, to give you a little bigger chronology, how do you fit in all of this as we think about Old Testament history? I'm going to give you five different connections that you can make that ought to be very easy to keep in mind. You think about Abraham, where does Abraham fit in chronology? Let's peg him at approximately 2000 BC. Now, you know, I know that Abraham lived 175 years, so a date doesn't fit for him. But generally speaking, put him about the 2000 mark and you're going to have the life of Abraham where you've got some feel for how far away that was, about 2000 BC. Children of Israel coming out of Egypt, Moses, about 1500 BC. So we move forward about 500 years in that period of time. Our next big landmark is the kingship of David, about 1,000 B.C. So we've got Abraham, 2,000, Moses and children of Israel, about 1,500, David, about 1,000 B.C. Now we know what happens around the zero mark. Jesus is going to come and uh, make the turn into our modern era. What about in the middle of that? Right in the middle, about 500 B.C., Peg Haggai. You're going, well, wait a minute, you just said it was 520. Yes, I did. I'm giving you benchmark relative chronologies so that you can grab onto these things and understand where they fit in. Then Jesus. So you're thinking back at the Old Testament. Where does Haggai fit in? Well, you've got Abraham, about 2,000 B.C., Moses and and the children of Israel, 1,500. David's throne, about 1,000. About 500, the post-exile period is there. The children of Israel are reestablishing Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls. Haggai. All right, so that you've got a a date hold. It's about the time of the Roman Empire, really beginning its new beginning with the, uh, the emperors. It is the beginning of the Greek culture of their democracy. So that'll give you something to hold on to when you think about those times. Now, let's go to the text. Let's talk about the text of Haggai itself. Well, clearly we're not going to have time to go through and read and do detailed study of the text. So let's knock it out in blocks. We can see Haggai in five different speeches on four different dates. And those dates are given very specifically uh, the dates aren't given, but Haggai talks about what day of the month it was, what day of the year it was, etc. And so we can tag that very closely, and we can make that association. So Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 11 is the first speech, 12 to 15th is the second. Chapter 2, 1 through 9 is the third. 2, 10 to 19 is the fourth, and the fourth and the fifth both happen on December the 18th, 520 B.C. So that's our, that's our text. That's where it forms. So in a period of three months-ish, the work of Haggai is done. The book of Haggai exists for about a three-month period right here. 
All right, what's in it? What's in the book? What did Haggai actually do? Well, there are five messages. We're going to talk in more detail about four of them. We'll leave one out. The first is the Lord's rebuke for delay. God comes at them and says, why did you stop and why are you waiting? And he'll deal with them regarding that. The second speech is given to the people. And it is the return to work speech. And Zerubbabel and his cohorts will go back to work. And they are described in that way as having returned to the work of the Lord. The third section or the third speech is where God explains what is going to come. And there is a discouragement among the people. And and God is going to address that through Haggai and talk about how great what is coming is going to be. And we'll read that text in just a minute, uh, Lord willing. So I'm not going to go too deeply into it. The fourth lesson is on holiness, and it's a wonderful discussion as God describes that holiness is not contagious. Sin is, but holiness is not. Holiness requires a dedicated effort to make everything in there pure. And then the final one, the final message is to Zerubbabel himself to encourage him as a leader from God, where God gives him a very special message. Let's turn to then some notable thoughts about the text. One thing you're going to notice as you start reading the book of Haggai is how many times the concept is there, thus says the Lord. 24 times in some 38 verses, there is a specific statement. This came from God. God said, thus says, God spoke through Haggai, Haggai, Haggai said... And of the remaining verses, many of them fall together in groups, so they are also addressed 24 times in 38 verses. Specifically, it says, God said this. Secondly, God is going to talk to them about two concepts, which I know you can't relate to. Procrastination and priorities. Any procrastinators in here? Now, wait a minute, you can't raise your hand yet. Okay, now now you can... See, procrastinators have to wait. You're slow to get things done. Procrastination is a concept that Haggai was dealing with, and it's going to be very specific to God's message. They have... They said, the time has not come to build the Lord's house. Well, what time is it? Well, I don't know, but it's not time yet. It'll, It'll maybe time later. If you've ever been faced with something where you procrastinated, you understand that you put stuff off. It's not time yet. Well, this is down the road. It needs to be, yeah, but it's not time yet. And, and you push back and you push back. And then God challenges them with priorities. You say it's not time for the Lord's house to be built, but it's time for you to live in fine houses while God's temple lies in ruins. Now we're priorities. What's important to you? And priorities is one of those things where there are a number of things perhaps in our lives and we have to decide which one is most important. You are here at worship right now. You made a choice. You made a choice to be here. Were there any other things in your life that you could have done this morning? Yes. 
Or there are other things in your life perhaps that need to be taken care of. Many of you today will leave from this place and you will go and there will be work that you have to do this afternoon. Some of you probably have to do actual work. Go to your job, take on some of your projects and and deal with some things. But you made a decision about what is most important and you came to worship instead. That's priorities. And so God says to them, How is it that you decided that your houses need to be taken care of, but my house does not? And he urges them to rethink their priorities. Number three, God is going to address them with the concept of futility. And he's going to tell them why things are the way they are in their lives. And it's a rebuke, a reprimand. Chapter 1, verse 6. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. God describes them and their lives, and God says, you're not fulfilled. You don't have what you want. You don't have what you're looking for. You're working hard, but your efforts are of no value, or at least they are not of the results in value that you're looking for. You want more, but you're getting less. Why? And then God tells them it was specific, that this is a specific punishment The reason why things aren't working out for them is not just because they've had bad weather. It's not just because things haven't gone in their favor. God says, I have been against you. I'm pushing back. I'm preventing you from being successful. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home... Chapter 1, verse 9, I blew it away. Why? God, why would you treat your people like that? Because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. God says, you're taking care of your own stuff, but you don't care about my stuff. And because of that, I'm going to ruin your lives. Do what? You're going to work hard, but it's not going to be successful. You're going to put in a great deal of effort, but it's not going to yield the results you want because you're putting it in the wrong place. One of the interesting things about our lives and about God is the recognition of where our blessings come from. Where do our blessings come from? Many years ago, I was involved in a Bible class, and as we were discussing in the class the things that we have from God and the gifts that are from God, one of the gentlemen in the class said, the reason I'm where I am is because I've worked hard for it. And I went to school and I got a degree and I worked hard to get a, get a good job and I have put into the effort and I have saved money and I've done all of these things and that's why I'm successful. And I said, you don't think God had anything to do with that? How is it that you have the health that you do? How is it that you have the mental ability that you do? How is it that your family order was allowed to be the way it is? 
God had nothing to do with that. Do you not see how blessed you are in every way and all of these things come from God? God was showing them. The reason why your lives are empty is because you have chosen wrongly. You've chosen to take care of yourself instead of taking care of God. And God was bringing about this punishment. I called for a drought, chapter 1, verse 11. I struck you with blight, mildew, and hail, chapter 2, verse 17. And then power, the power of God, he describes, all things are mine. The gold and silver is mine, chapter 2, verse 8. I will fill this temple with glory. It's nothing you will do. In this place, I will give peace, chapter 2, verse 9. God says, I'm in control. Here's what's going on. I will shake heaven and earth. I am the one who has control of all of these things. His power declared. My favorite part, I think, of the book of Haggai falls under this heading. God's encouragement. And it sounds like, perhaps up to this point, that, that everything in Haggai, you say, well, that, that sounds like a terrible book. That's, there are bad things there. Well, there is a reprimand, and it's a strong rebuke, a stern one from the Lord. But then he comes back. And God gives some incredible encouragement through Haggai to the people. Chapter 2, verse 4. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all of you people, for I am with you, says the Lord. Now there's a turn that takes place here. There's an expectation on the part of God that the people will repent. Look where we are. Chapter 2, verse 4, the people have already gone back to work and God has declared his new, his renewed loyalty to them. He says, I am with you. Rise up and do this. Chapter 2, verse 5, my spirit and covenant from Egypt are with you. Don't fear. From Egypt? Now, if you remember the rough chronology that I described a few minutes ago, when did Egypt happen? And when did the children of Israel come out of Egypt? That was about 1500 BC. That was a thousand years ago. God says to these people, my covenant is with you from Egypt? God is connecting them. Now, think of what's happened to them. They have gone into the, out of the land of Egypt. They've gone into the land of promise. They developed all of the judges, all of the kings, all of the bad kings. The northern kingdom was carried away into captivity. The southern kingdom was carried away into captivity. Now they've come back, and God says, I'm still the same God, and you're still the same people. Well, not literally the same individual people, but it's the same nation. God sees them as one continuous line. He says, you are still the people that I think of just like my people who I brought out of Egypt. They weren't leftovers. They weren't someone who was forgotten. They weren't some refugees out of Babylon that uh, were allowed to straggle back. God says, you're my people and I'm with you just like I was with Abraham, just like I was with Moses, just like I was with David. You're mine and I'm here and I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. Wow. And then this statement. And if you don't have this marked in your Bible, mark it. It's one of the most amazing promises of God as we look forward to blessings. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. We're watching outside as spring comes out. I've got grass and weeds. 
and uh, flowers popping up in various places. Anybody got tomatoes growing yet? No, not yet. Corn, okra? No, not yet. You've got the seed, maybe. You've got the plants, or it will be before long. And so you're, you're anticipating, you look forward to that. God ties into that. He says, you haven't done anything yet. You, you haven't planted. You haven't begun the harvest. It hasn't begun to grow yet. But let me tell you something, God says. Your blessings start today. Not then. Now. I'm going to start taking care of you right now. I think when the child, when the, the son who's described in Luke chapter 15 came home, the prodigal son as he returns, what was his life like when he came back? He'd been away. He'd, he'd, he'd messed up in, in leaving. He had insulted his father. He had wrecked his relationship with his family. He had taken the material wealth that his father would have given him as an inheritance. He'd squandered it. It was wasted. Now he's back at home. How long would it be before his life would be blessed? And you know the story and you know the answer. His life was blessed instantly. As soon as he came home, the father looking for him far off, ran to him, hugged him and kissed him. The son begins to make his, his, his speech, his amends. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. Just make me one of your... Sir. The father says, bring out a robe and put it on him. Bring sandals and put him on his feet. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. Let's be merry. My son who was dead is alive. My son who was lost is found. When did the blessing start returning to the prodigal son? As soon as he turned back to God. When do our blessings return from God? Our blessings come from God as soon as we make our connection with Him. Oh, what a wonderful statement. So, how do we relate this to our present life? Any of you ever get discouraged? They became discouraged. Do you become discouraged as an individual? Do churches become discouraged? Sure they do. Sure we do. Things happen in our lives. We lose focus on where we are and what's coming up. Sometimes the problems we see are so significant, we don't see the blessings that are there. And so we become discouraged. Haggai is a book about discouragement. The people were discouraged. They got so discouraged they'd given completely up, building the temple back in Jerusalem. That's the reason they'd come out of that land of Babylon in the first place, was to return and build God's place back. But they'd grown discouraged. They'd gotten beat down. They needed someone to come in and say, get back to work. They were busy with their own lives, but they weren't worried about the things of God. That describe any of us? How many of us are so concerned about our own lives that we sometimes can't make arrangements to take care of things for the church? Well, you know, there's going to be a, I heard you had a breakfast yesterday. Some of the men who were participating in that, I don't know what the number was, 40, you said, Paul? What were the rest of you doing? There's more than 40 here. Well, we had things to do. Of course you did. We all do. We make choices. And sometimes we get so busy with our life. I don't have time for that. If the church is going to get together for a meeting on Friday night, I don't have time for that. I've got things to do. I've got, really, 
what things to do do we need to do? How is it that we've decided in the priorities of our lives that these things are important, but God's things aren't? And then they returned. So many stories of the Old Testament end with a prophet or someone from God telling the people what they ought to do, and they don't do it. But Haggai ends well. The people turn back to God. They did what they were supposed to do, and God showered upon them the blessings that would follow. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. They came back to God, and when they did, God came back to them. Outline of the book of Haggai. Number one. He has left you empty. God has put you in this place where things are not working out so well. Number two, go back and do the Lord's work. Don't do your own work. Take care of God's work. There are several images in the Old Testament where God required that the children of Israel provide for him first. The city of Jericho, the first conquest city, God says the whole city belongs to me. You'll get the rest. First give to me. A prophet had the audacity to go to a woman who was about to starve to death, and he said, make me a little food. And she says, I'm making together the very last meal for me and my son, and then I'm going to die because this is all we've got. And he says, feed me first. God says, do you have faith to show me first? If you do, I'll bless you. The best is yet to come. It's easy for us to get discouraged and look at our lives and say, well, there's there's not much left. When God had the people together and they had built the foundation and they were starting to raise the temple, and he says, what do you see? What is being built? Does it not look like nothing in your eyes? Compared to what Solomon did, this is, this is child's work. God says, this one is where I'll put my glory. And that second temple would be rebuilt by Herod the Great, and that's where Jesus would come. What greater glory would there be? Solomon's temple or the latter temple? Oh, the latter temple would have much, much greater glory. Do we see what God can do? And now seek holiness. Make yourselves right, make yourselves clean, get rid of those things that are immoral, leave them out. That's that guy. A message of renewal, one for us. So the next time you go through and you're reading through the list of the Old Testament prophet, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Haggai. You go, Haggai? I know about Haggai. The people who came back and God brought them to rebuild the temple, they stopped. And he sent them a prophet, Haggai, and he got them back going again and they began to work and God blessed them from then on. They became a special people. Haggai, a message of renewal. Question for you as we close our thoughts today. Do we need renewal? Do we need a prophet from God to say, 
What are you doing? Whose work are you doing? You're so busy with your own stuff that you haven't paid attention to the work of, of my kingdom? All of us probably have to make that, that connection and that awareness. Just like Haggai. Come back and follow the Lord again. It may be that you're here this morning and you've, you've never responded to the obedience of Christ. You've never put on your Lord in baptism. You've never confessed his name. What would hinder you this morning from being baptized? It may be that you are a Christian, but perhaps the things of your life, your priorities are, they need rearranging. If you need to make a change in your public life today, spiritually, and we can assist you, come now while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School. West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.